if you're, if you're here for the first time today, um, if you're here for the first time, it's my last time. So I don't know if that works well or not. I don't know, but we'll see. I'd love you to have open Ephesians chapter 4 in front of you. That'd be great. Um, and welcome if you're watching also Facebook Live at the moment. We're live streaming this to James and Jess and Phoebe and Neil and Andrea, who are stuck at home with COVID. Um, and they're not feeling great either. You know how you can have different types of COVID. Well, they're, they're not feeling it very well. So... Um, Hello guys, I hope this is working, otherwise this recording is going to sound really weird. I was going to text you and ask you if you're going alright. Maybe send me a text if it's working, James, and I'll put it here and I'll stop halfway. Um, anyway, it's good to be together today. Uh, I'd, um, we're going to continue our series on Ephesians 4. Um, God has all things in hand and this is the verse that he's put in front, the passages he's put in front of us today, so that's what we're preaching on. Um, so uh, we're going to continue looking at chapter 4, verse 17 to 5, verse 2. And next week we'll continue on into um, uh, chapter 5. And don't get, St David's is on this afternoon too. Don't let that pass you by. If you want to join us at St David's, we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, again, a wonderful passage for me to, to, to finish on, but it just came up next in the series. So uh, come along to St David's this afternoon and encourage each other. Uh, perhaps you've heard of, I'm sure you probably have, you know that lizard? The lizard that... that um, uh, changes and adapts. It's working. James said it's working. Woohoo! All right, go. Excellent. Good James. Thank you. I love technology when it works. Thank you, John, for making this happen. Um, excellent. You know that lizard? It's called a, well, it's called a chameleon, right? It's um. I'll turn it on. There we go. It uh, it it adapts their appearance, its appearance to match their surroundings, so that it stays camouflaged and therefore safe from hungry predators. Uh, it's got to be one of those coolest lizards going around. I would think anyway. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Christians often live like this. Uh, we imitate the world around us so that we remain camouflaged from any, uh, let's just call them spiritual predators that might push us back, that might criticise us. And so we remain camouflaged so the world around us can't see us. Now, one way to tell us tell if we are a spiritual chameleon is that when unbelievers we've spent time with suddenly are surprised when we tell them that we're a follower of Jesus. Uh, maybe we've compromised our beliefs. Uh, maybe we've, um, we've been keen to mimic a, a popular friend or successful colleague. Uh, maybe or perhaps we've, we've bought the lie that money and status matter more. Or perhaps we live as, Christ, as spiritual chameleons without even noticing it. We're, so maybe we're accommodating to secular morality, in which case we're not just like the chameleons, we're more like, I was thinking, more like, you know those, there are certain types of frogs, I think most frogs do it, where you can put them in an open saucepan, this sounds a bit graphic, sorry about this, but that's the idea, you can put them in an open saucepan and you can boil them, but they never actually recognise a change severe enough in the temperature to jump out and save themselves. And perhaps we're a little bit like that when it comes to being a spiritual chameleon and accommodating to, to secular morality. So, what does Paul do in verse 17? He challenges us, the readers, and he says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He says, stop copying the world like chameleons and instead start imitating God. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to look at this passage together. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the, the, uh, the time we can share this morning. We thank you for church. We thank you that it is um, a little taste of heaven. And we pray as we hear your word today that we'd respond to it in um, trust and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So verse 17 begins with a so. See that? Hopefully get your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, use your phone or if you've got the Bible on your phone or grab a Bible from the, the foyer. But it begins with a so. That is, you see, in the light of what Paul's said in chapters 1 to 3 about God gathering all things together under Christ. Remember that was chapter 1. Through the death of Jesus that reconciles us to God and to each other. That's chapter 2. Demonstrating the triumphant wisdom of God in the spiritual realms in the local churches. That's chapter 3. And also in the light of what is said so far in chapter 4, calling us to see verse 4, verse 1, calling us to live a life worthy of the calling you've received by maintaining unity and serving one another to grow in maturity. So the so is there following up from all that, but the most immediate context is probably key. Look at verse 16. The so follows verse 16, where Paul writes that Christ's church body grows as each part does its work. Now, the obvious response here is, Paul, you go, okay, what, what, can you be more, a bit more specific about that work? Uh, what is it that we should do, we ask the writer here, we ask God. What, it's got nothing to do with church programs, nothing to do with that. And nor is it about abilities. This work that uh, Paul wants us to do is about godliness. Be more like Jesus, growing to be more Christ-like in, our, in the way we live our lives. Paul's far more concerned about being godly than being gifted. He's far more concerned about being godly than being gifted. So, Paul tells his readers, readers to put off their worldly way of thinking. That's verse 17 to 19. You can see this in your outline if you want. And to, and to be renewed to put on godly way of thinking. That's verses 20 and 24. And to become imitators of God in a life of sacrificial love. That's verse 25 to 5, verse 2. You can follow in the outline and see where we're going there. And, but let's not skip this bit in verse 17 because this is not some friendly s- suggestion that Paul says, the Apostle says. This is not a, a suggestion from the Word of God. Look at it, verse 17, he insists on it in the Lord. This is the way we ought to live. In fact, I'll say this later on, but this is the best life. This is the best life to live. Okay, so, but let's notice though, before we get stuck into some more detail, that the way we live begins with how we think. Begins up here in our heads. Our minds are not neutral. That's where our sinful behaviour starts, isn't it? Sin is just our rejection of God. I shouldn't say just, just. it is our rejection of God. It's where we push God away and we live a life uh, on, our, on, on our own without, uh, without God. And so that starts in our heads. That starts in our minds. Uh, a corrupted attitude with God. So godly behaviour must begin with a transformed mind. How does this transformation take place? Well, we're doing it right now as we listen to the Word of God. Uh, he, he cleanses our thinking. He reorders our thinking. That's the right way around. As we read God's Word, He reshapes our attitudes, which changes our hearts and, in the end, our behaviour in following Jesus. Our minds matter. Don't neglect them. Fill your minds with good things, and that is the Word of God. Sometime later, uh, Paul wrote to the young Timothy. It's my favourite book in the Bible, um, uh, 2 Timothy, and we're preaching on it this afternoon at St David's, so I expect to see you all there. Um, he was, Timothy was uh, tasked with the, uh, to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So sometime after this letter was written, we think. He writes in 2 Timothy 2 verse 7. He says, after a, a sort of a long exposition... He says, reflect on what I'm saying, 
for the Lord will give you in, insight into all this. Uh, notice two couple of things here. As we think about our minds being transformed, what needs to happen for that to take place? Well, actually two things. Uh, for, for us to be growing in our understanding of God's word, we reflect. That is, we need to think. We actually need to think. We need to meditate on, we need to mull over, we need to consider, we need to think when we read the Bible. And sometimes that takes a bit of effort. Sometimes we might have to pick up an extra, uh, uh, or talk to a friend or, or, or even pick up a commentary sometimes either. But it just means thinking over it, reflecting on it. But remember that we won't understand anything spiritual unless the Lord gives us insight. So it's why we always pray before you open God's Word. It's why we always ask God, before you read the Bible, pause for a minute and ask God to help you. Ask, ask Him to fill you with your spirit, as you look at later in chapter 6, as you read the Word, word of God. Spiritual understanding comes from the Spirit of God, and so we ask. Okay, and as the Spirit instructs us by His Word, we learn to stop thinking like the world around us. So we put off worldly thinking. The first step, really, to not, thinking, uh, to not think like a spiritual chameleon is to stop thinking like uh, the ungodly. That's non-believers, right? They'll think differently. You must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, remember, just a reminder to the last few weeks, when we read Gentile here in Ephesians, it really can be, um, it can be the same word really is, well, it's not the same word, but Paul's talking about non-believers as well. That's sort of used interchangeably. We don't live like we used to. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here, isn't he? In the way we think, the way we think has changed. Uh, if we trust in the Lord Jesus, the way we think has changed. And Paul targets here particularly the, the futility of that old way of thinking. So, for example, uh, superstitious idolatry. Pluralistic thinking where, that says that it doesn't matter what you, not what you believe, all roads lead to God. All, all roads don't lead to God. They all say different things about leading to God. They contradict, they cannot be all right. And even today we get this futile thinking of empty platitudes at some funerals where so-and-so is happily smiling down on us or that they are living forever in our hearts. Uh, it's a futile thinking, Paul says. We don't think that way anymore. Or it could be the empty confidence that, well, whichever God exists, he'll weigh up my good and my bad and, and she'll be right. No, it's futile thinking. That's not the case. It won't be the case. We need Jesus. But why do people cherish such thinking and platitudes with confidence? Well, look at verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Futile and empty thinking comes from darkened understanding. And you're picking up the words of Jesus, I think Paul does here, that because they're spiritually, spiritually blind, they can't, they can't see. They cannot see the truth of Jesus in the Bible. If they did see the truth of Jesus in the Bible, they would change, their life would change. It's why a brilliant scientist like Richard Dawkins, he's the, um, the famous atheist, well, uh, outspoken, he can write of the death of Jesus like this. It's in his book, The God Delusion. He says this, he writes, I've described atonement, the central doctrine of Christianity, as vicious, sadomasochistic and repellent. We should also dismiss it as barking mad. He just can't see what, it, what he calls divine madness is in fact really divine love. Just cannot see it. The man who is by reputation, at least in some circles, as scientifically brilliant, 
but he's spiritually blind. Just can't see. Why is he blind? Well, verse 18, Paul says bluntly, it's an ignorance of God. He doesn't know of God. And behind such intellectual objections, in the end, lies his heart. doesn't want to know God. Perhaps you've noticed some people like that in your lives. Perhaps you know someone like that who, who have just seemed to have set their hearts in concrete. Unable to recognise or appreciate spiritual truth and unwilling even to consider it. What Paul's done here in verse 18 and 19 is really expose, I think, the progressive stages of, of, of sin. This is what happens. This is what happened in our lives before Jesus, before Jesus broke that concrete heart. The stubborn hardening of hearts leading to personal ignorance of God, which leads to a darkened spiritual understanding, which in turn leads to evil behaviour, which is what he now describes in verse 19. Have a look at verse 19. He describes, this is, our, this is a, 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 the past. This is how the non-believers live in many ways. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. See, what Paul's exposing is that immorality is not harmless fun. You see that? It's not freedom or an exciting tonic to spice up our marriages. I read an article recently that was claiming to say that... uh, have an affair, it'll actually spice up your marriage. No, it won't, you idiot. (laughs) It'll kill your marriage. Immorality is never good. It's never harmless fun and it's never freedom when we go against God's good ways. Immorality is more like acid. It's dissolving away trust. That's what it does. Or again, another analogy, it's like a sewer, right? Fouling up friendships. That's what happens when we turn our back on God. And greed, well, greed, to quote the 80s phrase, if you were alive then, greed is not good. (laughs) Uh, It corrodes our soul and it just leads to selfishness. So who can help us? Who can help us when we're trapped in this, uh, again, using Paul's word, that sensuality? Well, um, Richard Koken, he's this uh, author I've been reading a bit, a few books that have helped me in this series on Ephesians. He uh, writes this great little book called Ephesians for You. Um, I've robbed a fair bit of it. It's really, really good. I'm going to read a bit more of it now. Uh, He describes, he compares sin, our rejection of God, to a prison cell. It's a really cool little picture he paints in our heads. Let me sort of describe it for you. He writes that before we came to Christ, we were enslaved and captive to sin. If you're a Christian today, try to remember back what it was like. I can relate to this. Um, Hostages of Satan, really, awaiting our death sentence. That's the words he uses. It's as if we were imprisoned in a stinking cell. And even though we sometimes gazed through the bars and wondered what life would be like on the outside, we couldn't leave. We We lived in the darkness and dirt of the cell, unaware of how filthy we had become. But on the cross... You see, Jesus paid the ransom price for us to open the door of our cell when he redeemed us, that means freed us, by his precious blood. Remember 1 verse 7 of Ephesians. He brought us out into the bright sunshine. 
sort of blinking with amazement. And as we began to realise in the light of the sun just how filthy we'd become and how beautiful life in the light can be, we now long to be clean like Jesus. But in our darker moments, perhaps after too much drink, perhaps after just hanging out with bad company or a time of self-pity, what we, we do, we crawl back into that old cell again and we curl up in the, the filth of sensuality, impurity and greed. But because we're different now, we find it unbearably miserable to go back. It just, it's just awful. But the door of the cell, you see, is completely open. It's permanently open. Jesus' death on the cross has not only set us free, but keeps us free. And Jesus will repeatedly send people back into our cell, good Christian friends who pick us up, drag us out and come, what are you doing here? Get back, get out in the light. So much better out here than it is in there. And sometimes we go willingly and sometimes we go reluctantly. We get out in the light again. And one day when Jesus returns to transform us forever, he'll close the door behind us and we will never return to that filth again. Won't that be a great day? I wonder if you can recognise yourself here. Oh, I can. I think we probably all can. I think we're being, we're being honest with ourselves. Uh, are we living as the Gentiles do in some way? Let's thank Jesus for, the, for paying the ransom to keep that cell door open, even when we've crawled back into the filth. Let's confess our failures to him, knowing that he's faithful and just and purifies us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.8. 1, I think we say it again in the, in, the, um, in the service coming up, in the Lord's Supper. And, and if we can't do that ourselves, then ask a Christian friend. Ask someone to, to ask, a, ask a friend to bring us out and keep us out. You know? And when we're breathing the fresh air of life in the sunshine... We need to take practical steps, don't we? So that we can, we can barricade our path back into the cell. We don't want to go back into the cell again. It's awful there. So you have to take practical steps and make sure you don't. So we can't return to the darkness when we're feeling weak. Okay, well, let's... Uh, God has told us through the Apostle really how to stop blending in like chameleons. That's where we've been so far, this idea of uh, putting off worldly thinking. Now he turns to explaining how we can be distinctively holy, being made new in godliness. And it all starts again in our minds. So it's point three in our outline, uh, put on a godly way of thinking, verses 20 to 24. Verse 20, that, however, is not the, uh, not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Let's just pause for a moment here and, and see that we're not saved by a per, sorry, we are saved by a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice that? It's actually the only time that Paul mentions Jesus uh, in Ephesians. He says, saved by Jesus. He wants, to, he wants to bring out the personal relationship we have with him as a Christian. Otherwise, it's just the Lord Jesus Christ or Christ. We're not saved by merely human understanding of, or not saved by merely understanding some historical facts. That's the point Paul's making here. 
just by using that word Jesus, but we're saved by the person of whom those facts are true. In the 1700s in Scotland, uh, I read this cool little story about the, there were followers of a guy called John, uh, sorry, Robert, Robert Sandiman. Uh, he, these followers of Robert Sandiman overreacted to the, I guess, this emotionalism of the day in some church circles and they started instead, as they overreacted, they started proclaiming salvation through bare beliefs in bare facts. Bare beliefs in bare facts. And this became known as, hard to say, Sandimanism. I got it right. Yes. Sandimanism. There's a harder one coming up in a moment. Uh, that's what it became known as, Sandimanism. And it's, this was utterly dry and impersonally intellectual. Thankfully, this theologian, a guy called Andrew Fuller, hasn't done much since, but he did this, it's pretty important in Scotland at least. Andrew Fuller came along and showed that biblical faith includes personal delight in the Jesus who is proclaiming the gospel. And he went to this verse in, um, in uh, chapter, uh, verse 20 of Ephesians 4. So the, the, we've got to avoid Sanimunims, anyway, the type of people who follow this sort of thinking. I tried so hard to get that right. Um, in other words, having little, having no personal delight in our Saviour. Saving faith is a personal devotion to our Saviour, Jesus. Being a Christian is about learning to trust and delight in Jesus, our Lord, our Christ. Okay, back to verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul says we need to learn how to dress properly. In fact, it's, it's about being taught how to dress properly. Holiness, or learning how to dress properly, happens in three stages. You see, we take off our old grubby character in order to slowly get dressed again in the character of Christ. And like toddlers learning to dress, we must learn to undress and then dress ourselves properly. So firstly, we must learn to undress ourselves, uh, to put off the lifestyle that is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You see, they're deceitful because these desires that are not from God, they promise satisfaction, but instead they leave us imprisoned in misery back in that cell and, and imprisoned in misery and emptiness and, and one day, hell. And as we reject corrupted opinions, the Spirit of God uh, in us will renew our attitudes within us through His Word. All, our old clothes, our old attitudes replace with new ones and clean desires. In the past, um, when I've spoken on this passage or something similar, it was one, a similar passage in Colossians actually, and... Um, I've seen others do the same sort of thing. I've actually demonstrated this physically by uh, putting off and putting on, but this putting off and putting on idea by, uh, uh, by putting labelled clothing on. So as if I'm standing here and I get a, a T-shirt that's labelled with joy and labelled with kindness, so I put the joy one on and I, then I put the, the kindness one on and then I put the holiness one on. And it works all right as a visual, visual uh, sort of illustration. The problem is it's not quite right. Um, it, it's, I, I've missed a bit in that because what I've missed, I've missed the taking off. 
See, and it doesn't quite work in a sermon with kids around or even adults. But really, I should strip down nude. Yeah, I'm sorry. Disappointed. No, no, you, you, no you, it's okay. Um, you see, we need to take the bad clothing off. That's what we, we strip down into nothing. Take it all off because it's no good. It's grubby. Our grubby character, our grubby clothes. And we put on the new clothes of God's character, of being like Jesus. I'm new. I'm not just a better version of old. I'm new. So after stripping down, we must learn to dress ourselves properly. So look at um, halfway through that verse there. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That is, we put on the character of Christ, who is righteous, generous in his love and holy. He has a, a, a disciplined purity. That's what holiness is as well, a disciplined purity, uh, a purity. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, we become what we are in Christ. We become what we are in Christ. Let me just take a drink for a moment. Uh, a song um, I'm going to play you a little bit of for the moment. It's, um, look, it's a song that gets me every time, so I'm only playing half of it, so I should be okay. Um, we don't have time to play the whole thing. Uh, we've, we've probably had enough songs today. No, no, we're still going. We've still got more songs to go if you're counting properly. Um, it's a Randy Stonehill song, and yes, he's American, name like Randy, um, but it's a song called Old Clothes. Uh, let me pray, play to you the first verse and chorus, and I've got the words up on the screen. Thanks, Rob. Just don't seem to fit me anymore. I see the light of morning with different eyes today, and I'm giving my tomorrows to the Lord. Following Jesus is the best life the best life and it's the only life that gives us a secure future uh, after we die uh, friends I, I love this line and it's as we as we remove our old clothes my old and foolish ways they just don't fit me anymore isn't that true about following Jesus they just don't fit me anymore now this this I see the light of morning so you're out of that cell you're in the light with different eyes today and I'm giving my tomorrows to the Lord. It's a great line. I almost made it. <laughs> it's a great line, isn't it? I'm giving my tomorrows to the Lord. We ought to do that, shouldn't we? Okay, let's look at this last section, shall we? 
where the apostle instructs believers to become imitators of God in, in sacrificial love. Uh, this is that Christian clothing. I found I came across this T-shirt. The Christian clothing. Cool. Let's Google that. I got this. Jesus, he'll be there for you. Is that what he means? I don't think Paul means that. Anyway, I needed a gag, so that's my gag. Rightio. Um, <laughs> so, four, four verse, there's a, if you Google that, there's a lot more silly ones. That's the best one I could find anyway. Chapter uh, 4, verse 25 to 5, verse 2. This is what uh, putting off and putting on looks like in practice. Paul gives some uh, practical examples of Christian clothing, right? And, and we'll, as we look at them closely, we'll see too that these are areas that will either destroy the unity of the church or, or its witness or strengthen the unity of the church. We'll go through this pretty quickly. Um, verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. No more falsehood. We speak the truth to each other in honesty. No gossip. No more deceit. Uh, second, no more anger. In your anger, this is verse 26, do not... Uh, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. See, although there are times when we might call it righteous anger, uh, we can get angry at the persecution of Christians across the world. But it's helpful, Paul says here, to put a limit on your anger so that it doesn't become all about you. Put a limit on your anger and don't give the devil a foothold, uh, either in your own life or in the church's life, but having your anger turn into bitterness. Uh, verse 28, no more stealing, work with your hands and look after those in need. So anyone who's been stealing, verse 28, must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So now we, might, we may not rob banks, right, when it comes to stealing. As far as I know, no one's been convicted of that. Um, but illegal downloads, robbing the artists of their incomes, uh, fudging on our taxes, borrowing tools from work, which we never return. That's our old one. They're our old clothes. No more of that. Instead, Christians need to stop those sort of practices and just work hard. And work hard so that we can, not just spend on ourselves, so that we can help those in need. That's in the church and beyond. That's why we work hard. So we help those in need. We are no longer to use our hands to get. We use our hands to give. Uh, verse 29, no more unwholesome talk. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. The word for unwholesome here is actually rotten. Rotten words. You can put that word in if you want. That is crude joking, damaging gossip, spiteful criticism needs to be replaced with uplifting talk that builds up and benefits. Be someone who speaks with uplifting language and encouragement that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, verse, uh, this next verse, grieving the Holy Spirit in verse 30, it's actually a reference to the rebellions of Israel on their way to the promised land and that, that those rebellions um, in, as they went within, within Israel as they went to the promised land, that, that grieved the Holy Spirit. It comes from Isaiah 63, if you want to look it up later. But the Apostle writes to those who've been given the gift of the Spirit, if you're a Christian, you have, to not cause the Spirit to grieve we cause the Spirit of God to grieve by repeatedly rebelling against God in disobedience and complaining. And finally, no more malice. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. See, in Christ, by the power of His, power of His Spirit in us, we can repent of bitterness and envy from past hurt. We can forgive 
We can pray for strength to no longer react in anger. We can resolve to speak well of others. We can slowly but surely replace malicious intent with grace and kindness. And notice right at the end there, there's two motivations to live this way. Um, What motivation is there to get changed so dramatically and put on these clothes? Look at verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And follow verse 1, chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as God's loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We don't live this way because we're going to be, we'll get right with God that way. We live this way because Christ has already died for us. And in response in love, we, we live that way. We are not to be chameleons imitating the world, but followers of Jesus imitating God, especially in the sacrificial love um, of his son's death. Uh, friends, here and this whole chapter, I, it is about living the good life. How's, how's your work? How's your marriage? How's your relationships? Follow Jesus. Obey his word. Put his words into practice. Live the good life. And that's what we've been describing here. Okay, let's tie a few things together. I know it's been long. Um, what are you going to do? Sack me? Um, <laughs> so, we... we as we look into this passage, let's, let's look into this passage like a mirror, right? How are you dressed? Look into this passage like a mirror. How are you dressed? Are we clothed with the fashions of this world, like chameleons trying to stay camouflaged? Or are we putting on that Christian clothing, renewing our minds through God's word, putting on the, that beautiful ensemble of holiness of Christ, of kindness and compassion and sacrificial love? We... we um, why don't we ask God to help us get changed, <laughs> to dress us, so that we no longer live like a chameleon, conformed to the world, the culture around us, but as a follower of the Lord Jesus, conformed to the, the Christ who in his love for us gave his life for us. Uh, let's pray and then um, we'll continue our service. Actually, I'll, I'll, I didn't say it at the start, probably should have. I'll give an opportunity to anyone to make a comment if they want to. Let's, um, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word to us today. It is a challenge. But help us not to, not to forget the other passages we've been reading in the last few weeks. Help us not to forget the grace and mercy you've shown us in the Lord Jesus, that whatever we've done, wherever we've been, whoever we are, we can be saved and made right with you and have the best life possible. Not a perfect life, but the best life of living for you in, in your love and response to your love for us. Uh, Lord, help us to get clothed. We just ask that you would help us to dress us dress us and so we put on the good clothes and we take off the bad uh, Lord we thank you for church today and we thank you for the, the opportunity we have here to read your word together Amen